Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. There are so many great things going on at Collective right now, so make sure you are following us on social media at My Collective Church to stay in the loop. Now let's get into Sunday's message. Hey, good morning, Collective. How are you guys doing this morning? Good, good. It's good to hear you guys out there. My name's Curtis, and it's an honor to get to be back here uh, opening up the Bible with you guys, as well as meeting some of you for the first time, as well as reconnecting with some of you and hearing some of the just awesome stories about what, what God's doing in your lives, in this church, and uh, I'm, I'm thankful to get to, to, to be here with you. Uh, it's been such an encouragement to me, specifically Uh, over this last year. And so as we uh, open up and we kind of close out our TLDR, Too Long Didn't Read series uh, this morning, I want to tell you about one of my favorite adventures with your lead minister, Michael Bartlett. Uh, In fact, he will be back here next week. He's finishing up his annual preaching break uh, this Sunday. And uh, so, yeah, I just thought, hey, this would be fun. Let's tell some stories about Michael. Uh, One of my favorite adventures with him Uh, is uh, that we were at college in Johnson City, Tennessee, and uh, both my parents, I I grew up in Glen Burnie, Maryland, and both of my parents worked for the government. And my dad worked downtown D.C., and because of that, he was able to make connections with people from all over the place. And one Friday evening, my dad gave me a call, and he said, hey, a guy from Arlington, Texas, came in this weekend, and uh, I have now two... Tickets, two front row, 20 yard line tickets to this Sunday's Dallas Cowboys versus Washington Redskins football game. If you can, if you and Michael can figure out how to get there, the tickets are yours. Now, something you need to know, and we can just get this out of the way, and I understand your reaction. Uh, I am a Dallas Cowboys fan. Okay. Yeah, I know, I know, I understand, I understand. And, and uh, Michael Bartlett uh, is a Washington, or was a Washington Redskins fan. And so we're like, we can figure this out. I know, that one's always mixed reviews, like, uh, you know. Uh, so we were like, we can figure this out. So uh, we, we book our trip, and we had, a, and I cannot begin to tell you, I could fill the rest of our time this morning with the ways that this trip went weird and sideways from the get-go. But I got to highlight just a couple for you. We get uh, on our plane and we land at the next airport and we find out that our connecting flight has been delayed. Not a very big deal except for we finally land in Dallas and when we land in Dallas, they had given away our rental car. Now, we're like, oh man. But they tell us they're going to give us a free upgrade. We're thinking Dodge Charger, right? Chevy Corvette. Imagine our surprise when the guy rolls up with a 1998 Ford Windstar minivan. (laughs) That's right. A dude trip. Michael Bartlett and I rocked a 98 Windstar minivan for the weekend. Now, because we were late, everything was closed, we couldn't get food, we show up to our hotel, and our hotel is super sketchy in comparison to the pictures that we used to book the hotel. I check in with the front desk clerk, and he hands me the keys, and the keys are two plastic keys. And I don't mean like plastic, like key card, beep, you know, you walk in. I don't even mean plastic key card, like swipe, beep walk in. I mean, these things are just missing the Little Tykes logo. (laughs) 
And I know you don't believe me when I say that, but all I can do is tell you what happened. We walk into our very first room, and as soon as I open the door, it smells a mixture of body odor and smoke. Not cigarette smoke, just like something's burning. It's like, well, you get what you pay for. And so I took my bags and I plopped them down on the bed. And when the bags hit the bed, dust goes into the air. Not going to work for me. We go back to the front desk clerk. We get our second set of Little Tykes plastic room keys. We go to the second room. And as soon as I open the door, the smell comes out. And it smells glorious. I mean, it's like it's been cleaned. Someone's got air fresheners in there. This is great. I flip on the lights and one of the mattresses is flipped up on its side and an ironing board is out. Well, we'll take this in comparison to the first one. So I just go in and I begin to put the ironing board away. And as I'm putting the ironing board away, from the bathroom comes a meow. There's a cat in our room complete with a litter box and a food dish. Not going to work for me. We go back to the front desk, get our third set of Little Tykes keys, open the door. It does not smell as good as the second room, but it smells better than the third room. Mattress is in place. Ironing board is not out. And there's no cat. We'll take it. But we did sleep that night with a dresser in front of the door in case they decided to give away our little tykes keys into another unsuspecting guest. This was just our first three hours in Dallas. I get it why people don't like that city. <laughs> the trip continues to go weird and sideways, but something weird did not happen. Sunday finally rolls around, and the one weird thing that did not happen is Dallas lost. And now I have to fly home with Michael Bartlett, the Washington Redskins fan. This trip is nowhere near as awesome and fun and exciting as I thought it was going to be. And it's one thing, right, when it's a dude trip with a close buddy of yours, when it doesn't turn out the way that you think it would, and it's something fun that you can reminisce about and tell others about. But what about when it's not a dude trip? What about when it's your life? What about when it's a core part of something in your life? What do you do when those things happen and there's not much you can do about it? What do you do when the dream and the picture that you had of life doesn't match up to what's actually happening? That's what I want to look at with our story this morning. What do you do when there isn't much you can do? When you're in a marriage... But he won't do anything about it, and you can't do anything about it. She won't change, and so it just is what it is. Your kids, they won't grow up and be who you thought they could be. They're not, they're not living out all the dreams that you could see coming true for their life. When your job, right, your job just, you took a risk, made the move, and it's just not panning out the way that you thought it would or should, and now you're in too far, and there's not much you can practically do. Financially, those dreams and goals that you had, they're not going to come true. Or what about if it's a health issue, and you're not going to die from whatever it is that you have, but it's debilitating, and it's demoralizing, and it just is what it is. What do you do? We've got a couple options, and frankly, none of them are very good options. The ones that come to us most quickly, 
So you can quit, but you don't really want to quit. You don't want to quit on your spouse. You don't want to quit on your kids. Right? You could drink or medicate yourself into oblivion, but really that's only temporary. And once it wears off, drives you right back to the drinking, right back to the medicating because of the, the guilt and the aloneness that you feel. You could get angry and resentful, right? It's so easy, especially with social media, to, to look at others' wrinkle-free life and think, that's what I was supposed to have. That's what I was working for. And you can let that sit and rot you from the inside out as you become bitter. What do you do when the dream doesn't match the reality? See, we all have this picture of what life was going to be, and what do you do when it doesn't match up? What do you do when there's nothing that you can do? And it feels like everyone and everything around you reminds you that you can't or you won't be that anymore. It's one of the things that happens for me is there's a couple self-defeating thoughts that end up leading to some questions. And self-defeating thoughts are, I'm not going to be happy anymore. I'm not going to get to work and be happy anymore. That ship has sailed. I gave it a shot. It's in the past. I can't go back. And then number two is nothing good can come from this. So don't get up there, preacher, and tell me some silly story about the Bible, about how everything works out in the end, because this, what I have, isn't that, and it's not going to be that. So don't get up there and tell me everything's going to be okay. And questions that I end up asking myself as a result of that is, does God know? Does God care? You want me to pray, I just want to know, is he listening? Right, and when you're in those moments, for some of us, that would just, that would be enough. Right, if I just knew he heard and he cared. So fair warning, before we jump into our TLDR story for this morning, today's story doesn't have a pretty bow on the end of it. And for today, just for today, it's not always, but for today, I'm okay with that. For me, there's something uncomfortably comfortable and comforting about this story. So we pick up this story in Matthew chapter 11. It's about a guy named John the Baptist. And just previously, Jesus had got together his closest 12 followers and kind of gave them this like, go get them speech and sent them out to go and do and teach the things that he told them to teach. And as that wraps up, Jesus kind of readies himself and he goes out and he begins to do exactly that, where he was teaching people what it looked like to follow God. And while he was out teaching, this happens. Matthew chapter 11, verse two. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard of all, about all the things that the Messiah, Jesus, was doing. And so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or, or should we keep looking for someone else? This is a very big deal for John the Baptist. 
You see, John the Baptist, his his actual nickname is John the Baptizer because he was going around and he was baptizing people. He was announcing the coming of the Messiah. He was announcing that guy that God had promised us for, for tens of hundreds of decades is finally here and it's Jesus. And so for John to be questioning whether or not Jesus is that guy is John questioning his whole life's mission. I mean, everything down to the clothes that John the Baptist would wear and the food that he would eat were supposed to point people to the fact that Jesus was the guy. And John's questioning it. But here's the problem. And this is where we get to our TLDR part of our story. John the Baptist is in prison. It's this fascinating story that we have in our history books as well as our Bibles. And I, I want to give you some of the backstory as to why John is in pri- uh, prison. See, John the Baptist, he did his preaching, his announcing that Jesus is the guy up and down the Jordan, uh, up and down the Jordan River. And part of his preaching that he would do involved calling out some political leaders right, of the time for for things that they were doing that were not in line with what God would ask us to do. And so the king at the time of the region was a guy named King Herod Antipas, all right? He's the son of King Herod the Great. Herod the Great is who you hear about during the Christmas stories. He's the king when Jesus is born that rounds up all the baby boys and attempts to try and kill Jesus. King Herod Antipas, this is I got a kind of a family tree to kind of show you what we got going on because this gets a little complicated quick. King Herod the Great had four sons, Aristobulus, Archelaus, Herod Antipas, our king right now, and Herod Philip. Can we all just take a moment and admit that King Herod the Great gave up once he got to Philip, right? It was like, um, Philip. Herod Antipas is the king during this story. And here's where our story gets a little complicated and a little Jerry Springer-like. Philip, okay, King Herod Antipas' brother, Philip decides he wants to marry his niece, Herodias. Herodias is actually the daughter of Aristobulus, okay? Herod Philip decides, you know what? I'd like to marry my niece, which is enough for all of us to go like, hmm, that's weird. Okay, well, just you hold on. After Herod Philip marries Herodias, Herod Philip goes away on a political trip. And while he is away, our king, Herod Antipas, decides, you know what? I would like to marry Herod Antipas. And so he divorces his current wife, marries Herodias, which just to keep things in perspective means Herod Antipas married his sister-in-law, who also happens to be his niece at the time. Whew. We all together on this story? All right, now, even without social media and without tabloids and magazines, everyone knows about this scandal. And it's disturbing. It's disturbing in any culture, but it's especially disturbing in a Jewish culture, which is precisely where all of this is taking place. And John the Baptist, in his sermons, keeps using Herod Antipas and Herodias as people who need to stop doing what they want to do and start letting God call the shots in their life. King Herod thinks this is kind of funny, 
Herodias does not. So Herodias decides to get her new husband uncle, Uncle. <laughs> she decides to get her new uncle to throw John the Baptist in prison so he will stop calling out her business in public. But she doesn't have him thrown in just any prison. She has John the Baptist thrown in the far eastern part of the countryside, a place called Machaerus. And a long time goes by, a long time goes by, and a long time goes by, and John is just sitting there in prison for doing exactly what God asked him to do. Now, I've got two more details that I want to highlight for you real quick, and then we'll make some applications and wrap this thing up. We jump back into our story about halfway down in Matthew chapter 11, and we find out that Jesus cared greatly about John the Baptist. It says this in Matthew 11, verses 11 to 12, Jesus says of John the Baptist, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none, no one, no man is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. Jesus says of John the Baptist, of all who have ever lived, nobody is greater. Jesus knew exactly who John the Baptist was, and Jesus felt strongly about him. No one is as great as he is. But this, this is Matthew chapter 11. A bunch of time has already gone by since John had been imprisoned. So I feel like we could ask the question, okay, well, what did Jesus do when he hears that John's in prison? Right? Did, he, did he go visit him? Did he send him a care package? Did he send him a letter? Hey, man, I'm rooting for you. You know, like, keep strong. What is, what is he, we know Jesus doesn't break him out of prison. Now, this is where we need to kind of look out of a map to help gain perspective. In Matthew 4, right, we jump back a couple chapters. Matthew 4, it says, When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea, returned to Galilee, and Jesus went first to Nazareth, then left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee. So to help gain some perspective, here's what Jesus did. Jesus finds out that John's in prison. And not only does Jesus not go visit John the Baptist, he actually goes in the opposite direction. He goes up to Nazareth, sits there for a little bit, and then eventually goes and moves to the city of Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee. And this, this is how we feel in those moments. This is how I find myself feeling in those moments anyway. We're in the desert, and God's gone in the opposite direction. Now, today, you can actually go visit these places and uh, in fact, Michael told me that in 2024, you guys are actually taking a trip to Israel. There's an informational meeting about it on August 27th that you can sign up for in your My Collective app. If you can make that happen, you absolutely should. But I want to show you some pictures uh, of, to kind of help, you know, once again, gain some kind of perspective of what it is that John's dealing with. So here's a picture of Machaerus. 
right? This is actually from the place where they believed the dungeon was that John the Baptist was held in. And you see it, and it's like, mm, that's fairly picturesque. You know, that's kind of pretty. It's desert, but, but this is the view from where John is. And the, the problem is, here is the view from Capernaum. Jesus is at the beach, hanging out with his 12 buddies while John is in prison for doing exactly what God asked him to do. And about a year and a half goes by and John has enough. He gets tired, he's looking for some hope. And so he sends word to Jesus, are you the guy? Am I, am I doing this right? I placed my hope in you, Jesus. Are you the one that we're looking for? And how does Jesus respond? We jump back into our story in verse 6. It says this. It says, Jesus told them, go back and tell John. Go back, and t go back to John and tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. My translation, my translation, you go back and you tell John, I am the guy. And you know I'm the guy and you can trust that I'm the guy because of everything that I'm doing for everybody else. Yeah, you can believe in me because of everything that I'm doing for everybody else. And here are those moments in your life. Right? Here are those moments in your life. I know God still works because I, I see it happening for everybody else. And here's why I tell you that. When you are hanging out in Bacaris, my heart's really soft for people who, really tender for people who are in these moments. When you're hanging out at Bacaris, and you're wondering where Jesus is, Jesus still loves you. And Jesus can know exactly where you are and exactly what you've done. He does know your name and he does care. And he is active in your life. If he did it for John the Baptist, the greatest man to ever live, he can do it for you. TLDR number one, God knows and God does care. God knows and God does care. This whole chunk of verses, this 19 verses, man, and there's, there's so many cool things packed all into this. And I want to preach one sermon on it all, but then it'd be like TLDR, like TLSP, too long, shouldn't have preached. You're going to, but verse six to me is like the most, uh, challenging and oddly encouraging verses where it says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. For me, Curtis, in 2023, as a guy who believes that Jesus is the answer for 
every issue and every problem we face for as long as life goes on, I find myself going, why in the world did they include this story in the document that's supposed to tell us and convince us to trust in and follow Jesus? Why would they put that in here? And you know why? Because it is what happened. And sometimes that is exactly what happens. And you've felt that. But do not interpret God's silence as absence. Your circumstances, your job, your marriage, your kids, your feelings of despair, your heavenly father knows all about you. You can bank on it. Book of Psalms in the Bible is kind of like a gathering of prayer journals and prayers that have been like were turned into worship songs. A writer in Psalms says this, Psalm 56, 8 says, you speaking of God, you God keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Which I do understand like it's a little weird, right? keeping my tears in a bottle. But also how poetic, where it's like not a tear, not a tear drops out of your eye without your heavenly father knowing about it. You are not alone. And perhaps you found yourself there where things didn't quite look like what you thought God was calling you to do. You were doing your best to follow Jesus' teachings in your life, to honor God with the way that you live, but the diagnosis still came. The kids still didn't come home spiritually. The job didn't pan out. The spouse still left. The friend still got mad. The addiction is still there. I don't know what it is for you, but my guess is you, like me, like John, have had moments where it's like, I thought this would be different. Did I get this right? John, in our text, is looking for some hope. He's down in the dumps, but he's able to get a message to some of his guys to go and ask Jesus to get some clarity and come back, hopefully, with some hope. And I want to point out something. John, instead of running to something that would leave him wanting, John takes his doubt and his discouragement and his despair and he takes it to Jesus and he gives Jesus space for an answer, which is TLDR number two. John takes his questions to God. And my encouragement to you is when you are sitting in those moments, when you find yourself sitting in Macaris wondering what is happening, take those questions to God. We look at Jesus' answer to John, and if you're anything like me, you're like, I don't love Jesus' answer. It's like, that's, that's not really helpful. But I want to highlight a, a couple of things to you. First, Jesus does not mock or belittle John for needing hope. In fact, Jesus actually does offer hope. Right? Jesus responds with the blind see. You're like, yeah, I'm the guy. You go back and you tell John what's happening. The lame are walking, the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the dead are raised to life. Tell John about that. See, but the interesting thing is, is is Jesus is actually quoting scripture that John had probably used in many of his sermons to show people that Jesus is the guy. 
But he leaves one thing out. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead are raised to life, good news is being preached to the poor. He leaves off one thing. You know what it is? The prisoners will go free. And I think that's why verse 6 says, and he added. Because Jesus goes and he highlights, yeah, tell him I'm the guy. These are the things that are happening. And, and John's buddies are sitting there waiting for him to be like, and John will be free tonight. I'm coming to get him. But instead, Jesus doesn't add it. So it sits in silence for just a beat. And then Jesus says, blessed are those who don't fall away on account of me. You tell John, I'm the guy. And you know it because all this stuff's going on. But I'm not answering this prayer the way that you would like me to. But it's not because I don't care. How does that sit with you? I understand that not sitting well, not, at least not sitting comfortably, especially if you feel like you've given years of your life to following Jesus and for some reason the answer to your prayer has not looked like what you thought it should or would. Another writer in Psalm writes this as a, as a prayer that they like turned into a song. It goes, oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Well, that's a chipper little ditty for worship on Sunday morning, isn't it? But Jesus doesn't mock. He doesn't belittle. But with compassion and tenderness, Jesus reminds John the Baptist what God is doing. So leads us to our last TLDR for this morning. TLDR number three, John stays connected to his good godly friends. You see, John actually wasn't able to take his questions himself to Jesus. He what was he? Because he's in prison. But thankfully, through the years, John stayed connected to some deeply committed friends who were willing to make the journey on his behalf to find Jesus and ask his questions. If it weren't for John the Baptist's good, godly friends, John would have been stuck by himself alone in despair with silence. And so my question for you is, do you have good, godly friends? It is my opinion and my experience that good friends are a dime a dozen. They're great. That's awesome. But the difference maker is having good, godly friends. Good friends reach out. Good, godly friends show up. Good, godly friends are willing to sit with you when it hurts and they're willing to make the long journey to ask God questions on your behalf. And so here's what I want you to do if you're looking for that this morning. On your digital connect card, I want you to mark off on there, join the team. And someone 
from Collective, someone from the team will reach out to you this week or jump onto one of the five spots left for the Four Frederick week. It's in those moments when you will make the deep connections, when you're in the trenches serving people, trying to show that God's love is real, where you will make those connections and find those good godly friends for people that will show up when you've got the rough questions about what's going on in your life. And if you're not ready to do that, here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to pray. I want you to go to God and I want you to ask him, God, would you help me find and lean into good godly friendship? God, would you help me find and lean into good godly friendship? And that means a couple things. Number one, you're going to invest you're going to invest in finding those friends. And number two, it means you're going to have to lean into some vulnerability to find those friends who will show up in those rough moments. Yeah, I wish we had more stories about John the Baptist and what happens from this point until uh, the end of John's life, but we don't. Uh, in fact, not long after this, John's story ends with King Herod Antipas, while drunk and tricked by a stripper, into agreeing to behead John the Baptist. And I have all the questions. And once I get beyond the like, what in the world was happening at that party, the questions I have is, what did John do in the meantime? What did John do when his buddy showed back up and told him Jesus' answer? How did he pass the time? Did he continue to tell anyone about Jesus? And I think he did. You know why? Because, and you can, you can look for this yourself, Jesus is the only place in the entire world where you will find grace. And you know what the world is looking for desperately? Grace. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Grace, the way we talk about it around here, grace is endless second chances. And God loves you so much that he sent Jesus into our world to live a life of love so that we could be forgiven for the times where we don't love. And even though God may not always answer the prayers the way that we want him to, God is always willing to give us the answer that we need. And that's grace. And that is good news. Even when you're in Macaris. If you've yet to take that step and place your faith in Jesus this morning, what I want you to do, I want you to mark off on your Connect card, baptism, and someone from the team will follow up this week about what it looks like to say, you know what, I'm going all in on Jesus. If you are someone who already said, you know what, I, I've trusted Jesus with calling the shots in my life, I just... I want this story to be a reminder for us that we are the best avenue for God's grace to forcefully advance in our world today, in a world that is desperately looking for some hope. And I'm praying that even when God says no to what we want, we'll be able to trust God deeply that he hears you, has not left you alone, and he still is the hope of the world. Do you pray with me? God, we love you. God, thank you for loving us. Uh, God, thanks for the story of John. Um, God, and for right now in this moment, thank you that this is how the story ended. Um, 
God, thank you for your love. God, thank you for your tenderness. God, would you surround us with good godly people in our life? God, would you help us to be the good godly people? God, that can show up and care and love and help bring those rough questions to God when we have them. We love you and we trust you. It's in your son's holy and awesome name I pray. Amen.